Well, folks, it is truly a blessing to be here, like Pastor Skip said, gave me the invitation. And also, I'm very grateful to the Lord that um, I heard that y'all are learning the book of uh, Genesis. He's been preaching through Genesis, and it turns out that when we came up here to the United States a few months ago, uh, the pastor of the church where we we are members, Springs of Grace Baptist Church in, in there in Shreveport. And the pastor said, do you want to teach the youth? Well, I said, yes. I said, what material? And he said, if you'll just teach through the book of Genesis, it'll be great. And get as far as you can. And so it just happens that we started about the same time. And I think we're in the same place in the book. So, uh, oh, it'll be a blessing to teach through and add on to uh, what, what you all have already been learning. And also feel comfort in teaching this, this piece of text in Genesis chapter 3 knowing that y'all already have a fuller picture and that the things that I don't say and the verses that I'm going to skip, that Brother Skip will probably uh, fill it in so I don't, I don't feel that pressure of making sure I say every little thing that the text has in it. But pick out a few basic uh, ideas and we're going to study them and see how they play out through the Bible. And I think it's going to be a blessing. So let's start with a prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you've brought us here. We thank you so much that you've given us the blessing of your word, we pray that you open our eyes, you'd give us understanding, and Father, that you would bless us, teach us, instruct us, Lord, and guide us in your way. Pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, and pray, Lord, that you would bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, in Genesis chapter 3, well, Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation, we have God making man, we have him placing him in the Garden of Eden, and... Man is instructed to care for it. He's instructed to uh, eat of the tree of life, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He is given a wife. They are told how to live together. They should uh, fill the world and dominate and rule in this world to take the image of God to the ends of the world. And that's how chapter 2, pretty close to the end of chapter 2. They get married. And chapter 2 ends with a funny little verse that really doesn't fit in with the rest of the story. It says in 2.25, And the man and his wife were both naked, and we're not ashamed. And that's a lead into the next chapter, leading us into the next part of the story. I've already got. So, chapter 3 starts, and we have the fall. We have man is not going to obey what God told him. So, let's go ahead and read that. We'll read the first uh, seven verses. It says Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We've all felt that. What was the most embarrassing moment you've had in your life? Don't say it, just think of it. Most embarrassing thing that's happened to you. Uh, it's interesting. We all already have something right in our mind, right? Maybe a whole list. Hard to decide which was the absolute worst, most embarrassing thing that's happened to us in our lives. One time, 
was in uh, in medical school. I probably won't get in trouble telling this, telling this story, but I was in medical school, and they had certain days that we had to go to clinics. And so as a medical student, they wanted you to be extremely impeccable so that patients would not say, hey, man, why are all these students in here bothering me? I mean, they, I know they're not my main doctor caring for me. I feel bad. And so as a medical student, you have to be even more perfectly fit, pristine, than even the doctors that work in the hospital. So I said, yeah, wear white clothes, completely white, white undershirt, white shirt, white coat, white pants, uh, white undies, white socks, white shoes, and you can't have a tiny spot on your shoes. I mean, perfectly ironed, you know, hair perfectly brushed, completely white, nothing. You can't have a watch on, you can't have a ring on, you can't have any jewelry. And all you're going to bring in is a white sheet of paper, and you're going to go in the hospital, and we're going to check out um, you know, some patients and learn from uh, the main doctor, maybe third-year medical student. So you feel like you know a whole lot, but you really have no, you know, don't know anything, and you have, definitely have no experience. So we're all getting ready, and we're all really nervous because they already told us that with you know, anything that you say or do that might be wrong, you get in trouble. It turns out that day I did, but um, that's, that, we'll get to that later. Um, so... I get out, and they got to take a bus ride. Where we lived was about 40 minutes out. So we take the bus, come in, you know, being careful, not a dusty seat, you know, it's real dusty in Pueblo. It's a desert, uh, cool, cold, you know, and, and everything has dust on, so make sure we don't sit any dust or touch anything dirty, and you got your backpack and don't want to. So perfectly. So I get to the school, and I was really nervous. I had a test, first class was a test, and then I had to my clinicals right after that. And so I get in, and um, I had my test, and we're waiting, and. Um, just getting pretty nervous. All the other people, of course, you add to it. You know, everybody stand there, and everybody makes, you know, each one of you makes the other person nervous. Well, I have some intestinal issues that come up when I get really nervous. And all of a sudden, I didn't make it to the bathroom on time. And this is a bad thing because I am wearing completely white clothing. <laughs> I'm talking about this is a bad situation. So I'm thinking, you know, this is just this, this is the worst nightmare of my life. So what do I do? So, you know, I think I got the long white coat on, and I think that's pretty much covering up anything. that I don't want to even look. I don't even want to think anybody, you know, it's like, I just don't know. This is a terrible situation. So I, this was the time when I had just gotten a cell phone, I think our first cell phone in Puebla, and they just were getting that, that going. So I get my cell phone, and I call Marie up, which was only for emergencies. And I called her up, and I said, hey, you know, I just need, I need another pair of pants and some underwear. And just bring them up here. And she's like, well, why? Why? Just, just bring them up here. <laughs> you know, oh, come on. I'm busy. I mean, I'm doing, you can't wait. I know. Yeah, just, just bring it up here. You know, I was like, well, what's, what's the deal? Just trust me. I'm waiting out in front. So it was, a, it was a very uncomfortable time for me. She ended up taking her little baggie tied up with some soiled clothes. And uh, that didn't help my situation of being nervous anyway. Yeah, even Elijah, he feels uncomfortable with this story. So, this is the story in Genesis of man getting really embarrassed, really being ashamed, and having a good reason for it. But it's also going to be a story about God helping. It's going to be a story beginning of the gospel. I'm sure you all have already seen some aspects of the gospels, even in the creation. We see God intends good things for man. He has a plan for his creation, and he intends, and he's going to bring that about. And I, I trust you all have seen some of those aspects in your, in your previous studies. Well, in our study today, we're going to see that God intends to do good to man. So let's focus on verse 7. It says, they ate of the fruit in verse 6, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. 
Now, I would expect it to say, and their eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked. That's the most obvious thing. I mean, that's how we know. I mean, nakedness is seeing. If you turn off the lights, it doesn't make a difference, does it? So I, I would really expect, and I think Moses is, is bringing our attention with this little surprise. Their eyes were open, and Adam looks at his wife, but he didn't see. It says, and he knew. They knew. What did they know? They knew that they were naked. Both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, or loin coverings. So they're going to fix the situation. They make some clothes. Uh, they put them on. Now, the question is, who's looking at them? Why are they so embarrassed? I mean, we're talking here, a lot of folks married. Usually, not too embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? It's only Adam, it's only Eve. There's nobody else around to look at them. They're embarrassed between each other. They put clothes on, but if you think about it, that's not good enough. They're not like putting the clothes on, like, okay, well, I can't see you. Eve, my wife, and she's like, I can't see you, Adam, my husband, so I guess we're okay. Like, I'm standing right here in front of everybody, right? I've got clothes on, so I'm not embarrassed. Right. Y'all have clothes on. You're not embarrassed by me looking at, at y'all because we have clothes on. So why is Adam and Eve, after they put their clothes on, they're still embarrassed? You notice that? They go and hide. Who are they hiding from? From each other? I mean, it doesn't say that, like, Adam went to the boy's side and, the, and Eve went to the girl's side. That's not what happened. They're hiding together. What are they hiding from? Who are they hiding from? Who are they embarrassed? Okay, so she wants to answer. From God. They're embarrassed because God's going to see them. So you see, it's, that's why most of the and they knew. It wasn't that they saw something new about each other. They're already married. But now they're embarrassed. Maybe not so much between, obviously between them because they put clothes on. But more they're embarrassed because God's going to see them. It says in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God. Why didn't they see God walking in the garden? Yeah, they're hiding in the back of the bushes. They don't want God to see them. They don't want to see God. Where they have maybe their hands over their eyes. You know? You get embarrassed. You just, oh, don't look at me. I'm you know, like little kids. You can't see me. You can't see me. You know, i got my hands over my eyes. Right? They're hiding from God. Now here is the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now there's some interesting um, things. First we're going to go through our, little, our text. Okay, That's what we're doing right now. We're going to explain the story. Then we're going to bring in some New Testament um, text to give us light and understanding. So that's what we're doing. So if we look at verse 8, it says they walked in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound. Not what my version says. I think some of the other versions say uh, it was a cool breeze in the day, in the evening, maybe, different versions. It's a, hard, it's a word that's hard to translate exactly in this context. But it's a good word. It's a comfortable, agreeable, nice weather day. Now, this is interesting to notice that Moses would describe that day as such. Where is Moses when he is writing this down? In the desert. What, where is he literally when he's writing it down? He's up on the top of a mountain. Remember? Moses takes the people out of, out of Egypt. They go across the Red Sea. God takes them into the desert. They have lots of different situations, difficulties. About two months into it, they get to Mount Sinai. And they get to the bottom of Mount Sinai. And God says, bring all the people. I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to give them my law. Everybody wash your clothes. Be careful. 
You know, guys and girls separate, three days, we're all going to get ready because God's going to talk to us. And he gets all the congregation, and there's no one in the pulpit. And God comes down the mountain, and the voice of God speaks directly to the congregation. And it said it was like a terrible, blasting sound, and they were scared to death. And they couldn't handle it. And they put their hands over there and they yelled, God, oh Moses, don't let God talk to us again. They're scared to death. It's too loud. It's too scary. There's fire. There's thunder. There's smoke. There's lightning on the mountains. And then after that brief encounter, there's a little bit of law. God gives them a few paragraphs. And then after that, they told Moses they had a meeting and they said, you know what, Moses, we cannot handle this. Go tell God. Let him speak to you and then you're going to tell it to us. Because this was way too scary. We can't handle this kind of situation. God's a scary person to be face to face with. So Moses is going to go on the mountain. And he goes up the mountain and leads instruction. If any animal touches the mountain, let him be killed. Any person, let him be stoned. If anyone even touches the side of the mountain, let no one go up with God. And when he goes up there, the psalm says there were thousands upon thousands of angels flying around the top of the mountain. This is a terrible thing. He gets the law and he comes down and starts reading Genesis to the people. Now, we know the story. As the months go by, as the day goes by, they're going to sin. What happens when they disobey the Word of God? Fire comes out, burns them up. Or the, land, the, the ground opens and swallows them. Um, plagues come. The snakes. All different kinds of things. So God's, the presence of God and disobeying God is a very serious thing. And yet, when we read the story, man directly, openly disobeys the law that he has. The Word. The commandment that God has given him. And yet when God comes to speak to him, he doesn't speak like he's speaking to the people of Israel in the desert, like he does on the mountain. Look how he speaks to them. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. There's no explosions, no sound of a trumpet, none of that. On the cool of the day, in the nice, peaceful, quiet evening, starting to cool off a little bit, a little breeze blowing through the trees, and they hear steps walking in the garden. Very different picture. It says, And they hid themselves. And the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord's going to give him, he's going to, in the next verses, uh, God's going to give them their, their punishment. He's going to give them a, a, the serpent a curse and is a curse of the land because of that. We're not going to, we're going to skip that and let Brother Skip preach on that next Sunday. <laughs> so, but you know, God told them, the day that you eat of this tree, you will die. That's the word. You will surely die the day that you eat. That same day, God comes down very calm attitude. I mean, he's going to be firm. We're going to get some heavy words to him. I'm, Brother Skip's going to teach about that. They didn't die physically that day. Now, we know they died spiritually. Man is dead in his sins and trespasses, right? But he didn't just blast them. He didn't send an angel to chop off their heads. So that's an act of mercy. He gives them some hard words. But in that, there's a promise of a, of a hope, right? Verse 15, 315, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you will bruise him on the head. He's speaking to the serpent. There's a hope, a hope of a Savior, a hope of someone to come and destroy the serpent, bring salvation. Now, verse uh, 
17, 18, 19, he's telling man, you're going to have to work hard. The land is no longer going to produce for you. He's about to get kicked out of the garden. And now verse 20, listen to what it says. It says, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and he's going to kick him out of the garden. Now, that's a very strange order for the story. See, if I were writing it, I wouldn't write it like that. I'd say God told them what they were going to get, the consequences of their sin, their, their discipline. And then I would say, and he kicked him out of the garden. And then I would go on to verse, uh, chapter 4. It says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth. Maybe right in there I'd put that part about him giving her name Eve. You see that? It's kind of out of order. I mean, you think God tells him, this is what's going to happen to you. He sends the angel to guard the tree and he takes it and he kicks him out of the garden of Eden. And then Adam says, okay, well, I'm going to call you Eve. And then he has relations and they start having a family because she's the mother of all the living. The word, the name Eve means life. So you see, it's a little bit out of order. It's a little bit of a surprise to me. And we always need to pick up on that when, especially in the scriptures, there's a little surprise, a little bit out of order. Why does he tell us his name, that he called her name Eve, right there before they get kicked out of the garden? Does he, coming out of this curse that God is placing on them, does he have this hope? Does he come out really down? Does he like, you gave me the fruit, now your name is death because you brought death to all mankind? He doesn't. Is he completely depressed about this whole situation? He's not. There's a hope. She's going to be the mother of all the living. Even though God said the day you eat of it, you will die. You will surely die. And all mankind is going to die. And we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And yet, he calls her the mother of all the living. Perhaps he has quite a hope in that promise that God gives of the seed of the, of the woman. That through her seed, there's going to be life. So he's got a positive attitude about this. He has a lot of hope in what God said to him. Maybe he has hope in that God came down in a cool breeze of the day and he's giving them a chance to still have a family after this. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. So, you see also, God says, you're, you're fixed for the situation. The fig leaves, they're all going to shrivel up by tomorrow. They're no good. It doesn't work. God's going to make his own provision. And he gives them skin, skin cloth, cloths to cover up their nakedness. And he's going to kick them out. And the story goes on. So, what can we learn? We learn that immediately that they sinned, their eyes were opened and their consciences pricked them. And they realized that they were naked. They tried to cover up. They couldn't. And yet God covers them up and he gives them this great hope. Now, let's go to the next big sin in the story, because if we look at the book of Genesis, uh, Moses divides it up in stories called the generations, or in this case, like chapter 2, verse 4, many of them say this is the book of, of, the, of the account of the heavens and the earth. Well, it's the same word that he used in other places in the book that's translated generation. So, two, chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 4 is one story unit. It's Adam being placed in the Garden of Eden. The perfect life in the Garden of Eden, his wife, the fall, Cain and Abel, um, the descendants of Cain, the birth of Seth, and that's the end of the story. And then Moses starts a new story in chapter 5. Now, he goes back all the way back to Adam. Do you notice that in chapter 5? This is the book of the generations of Adam, the day when God created. And that's going all the way back to the sixth day of creation, back to chapter 1. So we notice there's, there's a story here. Chapter 2, 3, and 4 is one unit. He's got a message for us. Now, let's see how the rest of the story plays out in chapter 4. 
Now, they have two children. Those two children, Cain and Abel, they grow up. They become adults. They have a livelihood. One's a farmer with vegetables. One is a, has animals. Anyway, God's going to accept the, the, the sacrifices of Abel and not of Cain. Well, you all know the story. Cain is going to kill his brother. Now, let's see what happens when this man commits sin. Down there it says in verse, verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And he gives him more curses. Do we see a difference? When Cain sins, does he immediately go run off and hide? No, he doesn't. Interesting. He hit his brother. He killed his brother in the field and he hit him. And he's walking around like an innocent man. Nobody saw me. Interesting. Adam and Eve did their sin. No one else saw them but the two of them. There's no other witnesses out there of what they have done. Who's going to tell on them? The animals? You see that? And they feel the guilt. They feel their nakedness. And they go run and hide in the bushes. And they try to cover it up. And even though they're not embarrassed as much between each other, they're embarrassed because God sees what they did and they felt terrible for it. Cain does a much worse sin. He kills his own brother. Hides him. Covers his blood up. He's not afraid. He's walking around like that. And God says, where's your brother? Oh, am I supposed to know about that? Oh, come on. I mean, he comes with excuses. Why God didn't know. He's not afraid. He's not, not like Adam, hiding his face from, the fa- from the face of the Lord. You see, there's the doling of this opening his eyes. God says, the tree of the knowledge. And when they ate of it, their eyes were opened. The serpent said, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. Well, that's not right. But they did have their eyes open. Now, look at the eyes. They're closing, aren't they? They can't see, he can't see very well. Cain can't see very well. Now, if we follow on the story, it's interesting. Moses follows the story of Cain, the family of Cain, for seven generations. And we're going to have a man's name, Lamech. Interesting, in the next chapter, chapter 5, when Brother Skip gets there, the seventh generation from Adam following through Seth is Enoch, a man of extreme righteousness. Very interesting. Now, here's the seventh man from following the family of Cain. So it's Adam, Cain, his son, the grandson, the great-grandson. We go seven of them, and we get a picture of this man's life called Lamech. Look in, in verse, uh, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23. It says, And Lamech said to his wives, well, he gets two wives, so that's a bad thing. Ada and Zillah, his wives, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now that's way worse. Adam and Eve eating some vegetables, sinning against God. To Cain killing his brother. To this man killing two men. Has two wives. Killed two men. And not only, he's not even hiding it like Cain. At least Cain hid the blood somewhere and thought nobody saw him. Thought he could get away with it. This man says, I killed him openly. Here, everybody, come listen to me. Come here. Look, I want everybody to see how bad of a man I am. He's like a big biker type, right? Yeah, I, I'm bad. I killed him. This little boy, he just looked at me. And I killed him for it. Anybody going to do something about that? You going to do something about that? Oh, come on. If Cain's going to be avenged seven times, I'm avenged 77 times. 70 times, 70 times. He's not only sins, 
He doesn't hide it. He's not ashamed. He doesn't go hide. He's bragging about it. He writes a song about it. It's a poem. He writes a poem and he calls his wives to come hear all the bad things he's done. He's showing off to everybody. What about the eyes? What happens to his eyes? Does he even see? He can't see anything. His eyes are totally blind. He's worse off naked than seven generations back, Adam and Eve. He thinks it doesn't even matter. He doesn't even care if God sees him. So we see things are getting worse. And we could follow the storyline through. But man lives in a, a state of nakedness before God. He has shame because of his sin. And he gets shaken that shame off as the time goes along. It says in Philippians, I believe you all just studied the book of Philippians. If you all remember in chapter 4, verse 19, it says, talking about these, uh, these men in the church, it says, their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. The same word they use in there in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Their glory is their shame. Same thing in the time of Paul. People are glorying in their shame. They're coming out of the closet, as they say. Y'all hear the word? People were shamed a few years ago in the United States for doing certain things. Now they come out of the closet. You shouldn't be ashamed. Not only should you not be ashamed, you should let everybody know. Not only should you make everybody know, you should make everybody accept what you're doing. You see that? It's happening today. Just like it started Adam and Eve, and it went on to Cain, it went on to Lamech, it goes on in the time of Philippians, their glory is their shame. It's going on today, and it has not changed. Now we're shameful, and we're going to show it off. And we're going to make you accept it. It's the same thing. It hasn't changed from the very beginning. I don't think the little clause that God made is fixing the situation. It doesn't seem like that. It seems like that's telling us there's going to be a fix. And that fix is going to come through God. Let's find out how God deals with this. How he's going to um, clothe us for real. How he's going to take away this shame that we have. Let's go to Psalms 22. There's a lot of different places I could go. And I had a huge list and it would take me four preachers probably to get through it. So I've cut it down to just the bare sticks minimum. And probably Brother uh, Skip's going to have to go back over some fill in some things. But if we go to Psalm chapter 22, if we remember, that's a psalm about Jesus on the cross, his sufferings on the cross, perhaps the most vivid, detailed description of Jesus on the cross. We'll look about halfway through the, uh, halfway through the psalm. Let's, let's start in verse 16. So Psalms 22:16, he says, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Do you all see what part of the story we're in? Pierced my hands and my feet. This is Jesus. On the cross, we're going to come to it. They're going to quote this in the New Testament. We'll see in a minute. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. They take off my clothes and they're fighting over them. They're casting lots over my clothing. Now, the first word used there, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know much uh, about Hebrew, but in the Greek, Translation the Septuagint, that word first word garments is the outer clothing, and when it says clothing there in the second part of verse 18, it's talking about undergarments. So the outer clothing is cloak, the tunic that they wore on the outside, and the other clothes they wore on their body closer. Both of them are mentioned there. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, if we go to the New Testament, this is going to get quoted. We can go ahead and look. Let's look in uh, Luke 23. It's interesting. Um, 
Each author of a gospel, each of the gospels, brings a little different perspective on the life of Jesus. They're complementary in many ways. But there's some points that all four gospels mention, and there's very few of them actually. Like quotes from the Old Testament, like when it talks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it quotes Isaiah when it says, um, make straight his path, there's a voice in the desert. All four Gospels pick up on that. And they mention that is really important. In some stories, you know, Jesus walking in the water, that's in some of them, not in others. You know, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000. Some will have different parts, different stories. And they're complementary. But listen, the quote from Psalm 22 is in all four Gospels. It's important. Look what it says there in, in chapter 23, verse 33. And they, when they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. What were they looking at? What were they looking at? They're looking at Jesus, a spectacle. But they're also looking, says they took off his clothes. And they divided it. Just like the scripture said what happened. If you've seen the picture, we don't have, I guess this isn't a Catholic church, we don't have a picture of the crucifix, right? And Jesus hanging on the cross. But you all have all seen them, right? Everybody's seen them? Yeah, we've all seen Jesus hanging on the cross. Do you notice they leave some clothes on Jesus? Do you notice that? I, I have never seen a naked Jesus on the cross. Has, have any of y'all been around a long or maybe a little more? No? Why? Maybe a little embarrassing. Right, Pam? A little bit embarrassing. I'd feel a little uncomfortable. Especially if I had my kids with me. Oh, here's Jesus now. Wait, let's, let's, you know, let's cover up this part. That's a lot of shame involved in that. Now, you know, one thing, of course, I'm a doctor. And sometimes you have to check people out and see everything, they, you know. But you go to the doctor, and maybe that's not too embarrassing. I mean, I've had doctors check me out. Okay. Not, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad, but it isn't that bad. Why? Because you don't know them. You hope you don't know them. You don't want to go to the doctor, you know your best friend, right? You know, i got this problem, you know. No, you don't do that. You go to the doctor, you don't, that doesn't know you. You go to the nurses, they don't know you. And, and then what? And then you, you, you know that if they look at you, they're not probably not trying to make fun of you. And later on, they're going to be out of your life. Your friends aren't going to be there. If your friends are visiting you, then you can ask them to kindly wait outside for a moment while the doctor is going to check you out, Right? And then when the doctor leaves, okay, everybody can come back in, you know. Did anybody here live that? I, I've lived that. Why we're not too spirits? Because they're, they're not our friends. They, we don't know them. They don't know us. We're not going to see them later. They're not going to tell our friends, what our family members, what they saw, what, what happened. Jesus, do you know who was around him? His mother. That might not be too bad, I guess. I mean, your mother. Disciples, all his best friends. That's pretty bad. But maybe you say, well, maybe they're rooting for you, maybe not making fun of you. Well, what about his enemies? It's as bad as it gets. All the women that served them, it says, were there. All his enemies, all the Jews were there, other criminals, the police. It's a public event. And it says, and they're all looking at him. It says, verse 35, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. Why was it important for Jesus to be naked on the cross? 
Why was it important to take off his clothes and cast lots for him? That's all the way from the Psalms, a thousand before Christ. Why is that a particularly important thing? Could it be that he's carrying our shame? Is he carrying our shame that we couldn't carry? He's standing out there exposed before everybody where we couldn't. We wouldn't be willing to do that. We couldn't do that. He did it for us. Adam couldn't bear it. He went and hid in the bushes. I couldn't bear my nakedness. I couldn't bear my shame. Not before God. He's laying there carrying our shame. Carrying our nakedness. Before everybody. Before God. Before the angels. Before man. Before his friends. It says in Hebrews 12 too, that Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And he is now seated on the right hand of the Father in glory. He despised the shame. What does that mean? It wasn't important to him. We use that word, uh, that word, I'm looking it up in the New Testament. Where else does he use despise? It says, if you despise one of these little ones, you're despising me. You know, when you come up, you know, like a kid, like, oh, get out of here, don't bother me, you know, it doesn't, I'm not going to take my time to bother with you. It wasn't something really important for him. It says he did that to shame. He had the shame and he said, I don't care if I have to be up there naked. I don't care if I have to be ridiculed. I don't care if everybody's going to look at me. I don't care if everybody's going to make fun of me. I don't care if I'm before everybody. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't that what he said right before they took his clothes off? Forgive them. I'm going to carry their shame. I'm going to carry your shame. Now that is a great God. Now that's, that's going to get it done. More than those, those skins that we see. Now how does this work out practically in our lives? Uh, Paul gives us a, a plenty of descriptions. We'll go to one, one text. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Now, Paul's talking about his ministry. Uh, he's not talking about uh, an exegesis of Genesis, but he puts in so many elements, I can't help but think that he's got this story in the back of his mind when he's explaining his ministry and talking to the Corinthian church. So, We'll go through it, and I think, I think you'll, you, you'll see what I'm saying. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's see how he starts out the chapter. He says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things because of shame. Now, he's talking about what they were accusing him of, of doing things deceitfully, of trying to get money out of the church, of trying to uh, different things. But just think of it in a context, in a wider context. We renounce hidden things. Because of the shame. Things that are hidden, things that are shameful, we've gotten rid of those things. We said we're not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now that's an interesting phrase. In the sight of God. When it says in the, in the, the Jewish or the, the, the Greek Old Testament, it says that Adam hid himself from the face of God. And we're going to see the face of God here. He said, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I can stand up my face open before God. In the sight of God. I'm not afraid. I have nothing to hide. I have no shame. Let's see how that happens. How is he going to get that? He says in verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now wait a minute. The God of this world, how did it start out in the story? Did he, what did he promise Eve? Eat of the fruit and it will 
do something for you. What did He promise her? Your eyes will be opened. And their eyes were open. They were open to some bad things. But what happened to Cain? He didn't have his eyes near as open as his father did. And Lamech didn't even have eyes. That, I mean, he's completely blinded. He's out, there make, he's out there proclaiming all his sins and his shame openly. He says, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. He promised sight, brings blindness. From the light of the gospel, which is in the image of God, the glory of God. It says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, not of good and evil, but of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now that's exactly what Adam had hid himself from, the face of God. Now we can see, because of this light, our eyes being open, we can now see the glory of God. We can see Christ, and we cannot hide from Him that hidden things are, are taken away. So, verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, if we had more time, uh, folks, I know I'm running a little long, but we can see that the, we, we are dressed with the righteousness of God. He clothes with righteousness. We take off the old man. We, he takes off our sin. It was, he bore it on the cross. He bore our shame. And he gives us, imputes to us his righteousness. And we're clothed with that righteousness. And Paul is saying here, we have our eyes open to the light of the gospel. We see in the face of Jesus Christ the glory of God. Now we have nothing to hide. We're open. We're not ashamed. And he says, therefore, my inner man is being renewed day by day. Right? Through the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to me. The new life. But the outer man is still decaying. Did you all notice that I am saved and I can stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Amen? But I still put my clothes on this morning. Did you all notice that? It looks like everybody here did too, even Elijah. Yeah, because we'd be embarrassed for him if he didn't have any clothes on. Right? That's right. Did you notice I'm saved? I, I have no need to be embarrassed before God because of what Christ bore my shame on the cross and He's given me His righteousness and yet I still put my clothes on. Why? It's interesting. Why don't I go back like Adam and Eve and now I'm not ashamed. I can walk around naked. No, that, that, that isn't happening. But Paul deals with that. You notice he said the outer man's dying. The inner man is being able to see God face to face. Chapter 5. He says, in the first three verses, it says, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, talking about the body, this one, the one I'm wearing right now, and this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Talking about a new body. For indeed, if this house, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave, us, gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. It says in verse 6, Therefore being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And he continues. What is he saying? We can stand, he said, I can stand in the sight of God and all men without any shame. Well, yeah, I'm the inner man in my ministry. He still has clothes on too. But he says, one day, 
this body, this mortal body, body of shame, this body is going to be placed aside and I'm going to get a new one from God. Not that I want to be unclothed, and he's not talking about these clothes, he's talking about taking away the body, being just a spirit, get rid of the flesh. No, get rid of this body and give me a new one. You see that? He's going to dress us in a new body that doesn't have weakness, that doesn't have the death. He said, the day, surely the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. We still live under that in the flesh. And yet he is going to give us a new body that will not die. Eternal. Heavenly. What a hope. Okay. I'm going to move on. Let's skip some things. Let's go to, let's go to Revelation. We're going we're to close here in a few minutes. Revelations chapter 3. We'll let uh, Brother Skip finish out this little part. Let's, let, let me point out a few things. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. Revelation is the beginning of Revelation. He's writing to the seven churches. It's Jesus Christ himself. These are churches. He has them in his hand. They're candles. Uh, and um, he's walking in the midst of them. Now, let's look at the church to Laodicea. Revelations chapter 3, verse 14. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. Now, he just called Jesus, the one who's writing, the Amen. Well, I can understand that. He's the Amen, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, yes. The faithful and true witness, well, correct. What about the beginning of the creation of God? Now, what does that remind us of? It reminds me of Genesis chapter 1. How about you? But he calls Jesus the beginning of the creation of God. Now I think he's referring back to Genesis, and we're going to see why. Look at verse 15. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may become rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves. And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Well, this is interesting. This is a message to a church. It happens to be I'm preaching to a church right now. It's interesting. He's preaching to a church. What does he say? He says, the beginning of creation wants to speak to you. And what he says, you think you have everything you need. You think you're covered. You think you don't, you're, you're not naked. You think you're, you're just fine the way you are. And he says, now wait a minute. Here's some things I have against you. He says, but you don't know. You need some clothes to cover up your shame. You need some, put some righteousness on. Put these clothes on. And he said, you need some salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. What do we need to see? We need to have our eyes opened to the truth. He said, look, wake up, church. Look at the way your church is. And I don't know everything here at Fillmore. Maybe there's some things that we need to wake up to. Maybe there's some things we need to have our eyes opened. We can see some weaknesses, see things we need to work on. And Jesus is inviting, come to me. Come, come to me. He's going to say the next word. I'm talking, knocking on the door. Let me come into the church. You need to be dressed. Where are we going to find this clothes? To cover our shame, to cover it's in Him, in Christ. We're going to have those clothes. Now, we're moving right along. What about the ones that don't? This is interesting. Let's go to chapter 6. Let's just jump through the book of Revelations here real quick. Um, and now John is going to quote uh, Hosea chapter 10. Now, Hosea chapter 10 says some interesting things like, you think you're doing fine, but really you're naked. Very interesting. Almost the same thing he said 
John wrote to the, to the church there. Hosea says that. We don't have time, but you can look it up in Hosea chapter 10. He talks about the people being naked, having need, and they think they have everything, but they don't. Now look what it says here in um, chapter 6, verse 12 and on. He says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. The stars fell to the sky. And he says in verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved. The kings of the earth and commanders, the rich and the strong and every slave, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? These are the people who aren't clothed in the righteousness of Christ. These are the people whose sins aren't washed away. And what are they saying? The end of the world. Christ is coming. Now, Adam hid himself from the face of God. And it just so happens that today all the people that are shamed, were ashamed, are coming out of the closet. And you know what? Isn't any God looking at them? See that? They come out of the closet. Oh, well. Hey, you know, we're... What is it? It's, it's, uh, I learned a new term. Listen to the radio the other day. So what is it? Um... L-G-B-T, is that right? L-G-B-T. I, I said, what in the world? I had to look it up. Lesbian, gay, um, bisexual, transsexual, something like that. Coming out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the closet. And, and you know what they find? There's not a God to look at. There's not anyone there to shame them. Okay, well, hey, it's all fine. <laughs> what are we so afraid to come out of the closet for? There's nothing wrong out here until, until this day. Well, the sinners, the ones that are in the church thinking they're just fine. I mean, he just wrote that in chapter 3, right? All the people in the church, they think they're fine too. Maybe they're just naked and they don't realize it. Yeah, well, on that day when the face of Jesus Christ is seen in heaven, they say, they said they hid among the rocks. They're not hiding in the bushes anymore. Of course, the bushes were burned up a few verses back. But uh, they're hiding under the mountains. And they say, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. That word, the presence, the same thing. Adam hid himself from the presence of God. He hid himself from the face of God. Now they're saying, hide us from the presence and from his wrath. This isn't a day like the day when God came and talked to Adam. Cool of the day. Nice little breeze blowing. There's no breeze blowing here. It's fire, hail, brimstone, terrible plagues. This is the sixth plague. This is the end of the world. It's Holocaust. People are hiding under the bottoms of the hill saying, fall on us, protect us, hide us from the face of the Lamb. This day of peace, of God bringing His clothes and covering His people, has come to an end. And that is the terrible truth of our nakedness. It's going to catch up to us unless we repent. So, again, message of salvation, of repentance for everybody. Let's finish. Let's finish. Last, last verse we'll look at, Revelation 19. Let's look and see how the story ends. We're going through the story. Revelation chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. He says, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants who fear, who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. 
And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And that's the end of the story of the clothing, our nakedness, fallen in Adam, being blinded as the generations go past, to the point that we're glorying in what is our shame. Christ comes. He carries our shame on the cross. He carries our nakedness. He suffers openly for us. Now the Gospel comes to our lives and the Gospel takes those blinders that the devil has blinded our eyes and we see our need. We feel that openness to God and yet we come to Christ and He gives us His righteousness. He clothes us, washes away our sins. And Paul says, yes, on the inner man we're living and today we're still dying, but don't worry, folks. Don't worry. One day we're going to get rid of this body. He's going to give us a new one. And you know what? The new one comes with clothes too. Perfect clothes. Why? Without a single spot. And one day we'll stand before Him with open faces saying, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Our day has come! Blessed are all those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. His salvation has been completed. We are fully covered and washed without shame. Open face before Him for all glory with nothing to be ashamed of, folks. That is our God. That is our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much. What a glorious God You are. You planned everything from the very beginning. We thank You, Lord, that You came to save us, Lord, for we are sinners. Lord, were it not for You, we would be in our shame. We would be unclothed and naked. We'd probably be glorying in that shame like many other people are doing today. We pray, Lord, that You would continue to open our eyes. That we would be clothed every day with good deeds. That we would be clothed with Your righteousness. We pray, Lord, for those that are around us that have their eyes blinded by the God of this world. Those that don't know that they're blind and naked and hungry and destitute. Lord, we pray that You would give us that weapon. We would be armed with the Gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to shine the light. The same God who said, let there be light in creation, who shines the light of the Gospel of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the hearts of men to open their eyes. We pray, Lord, use us to be beacons of this great Gospel this great message, this great salvation that you have brought for men. Pray that you would have mercy. And we thank you so much for our salvation. Help us, Lord, to continue faithful. Lord, we thank you that one day we can stand before you completely clothed with a new mind, a new heart, a new body, new clothes. Stand before you for all eternity to enjoy your greatness and to enjoy this great salvation that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.